coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I'm Andrew Farmer. With me as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. Hello, Cole. I'm so sorry. This is part oh, of our subject matter God. today. It's a certain comic creator. Oh, I, no. I needed to get in the <laughs> oh, oh. character here. How do your teeth feel? Who wants to start a business? That's right. I can feel each one. Oh, man. So sweet by cuspids. So we have now done. Um, and again, I think Cole, my cuspids swing both ways. Oh, my God. Oh, thank you. I'll thank the audience for allowing me to ramble last week on a, a topic that it turns out was one of the favorites that we've done in the 340 odd issues of Hey Kids Comics, which was Malibu Comics. Before that, we <laughs> techno um, comics. Cole, uh, what is the story arc that we find ourselves on the third issue of? We and... have hit the midpoint, and with the appropriately placed topic uh, at this wonderful midpoint of uh, Declaration of Independence. Yes. Uh, which we will be revisiting uh, next year with even more independent comics. But this particular arc, uh, this incarnation of the Declaration of Independence, is focusing exclusively on comic imprints on publishers that went away right for various reasons i mean some of them self-destructed some of them were sort of bought out of existence or litigated out of existence it really varies uh, but all of them had their day in the sun and then they were gone right you know and this issue is on defiant comics um I will say this outside of one thing that, that we know to be true that we've actually talked about on this show before defiant comics is largely unreported on. Um, it sort of became the, the stepchild of valiant in its, in its long running, um, career, you know, because of the fact that, that shooter, I want to say he can't hold down a job, but he was Marvel EIC for like 10 years, which is an accomplishment. I will say that. Oh, yeah. You you have to understand that Jim Shooter, who, of course, will become a very uh, – the big player in this particular issue, Jim Shooter was a wonderkind. Yes. Comics, because to my shock and dismay and, and partial disgust in my youth – uh, to discover that he was brought in to DC Comics on their junior bullpen program and was an integral part of really uh, bringing one of the periods where Legion of Superheroes kind of came to the fore. It, it, it had a tendency to wax and wane, and excitement would be created around it, and back it would be, and then away, away. <laughs> Well, what's really interesting, and, and to and to rub some salt in that wound for both of us, he did. He started selling stories to DC at 14 years old. Yes. So this kid was the Doogie Howser of comics, for real. He's like the kid that lies to go to war in World War II at age like yeah. 16. Like he started selling comics to DC at 14 years old. Works his way through the ranks. becomes a, becomes a, a full time you know, accredited writer goes to Marvel, starts writing some of the, you know, and like you said, he was responsible for some of the most popular DC storylines, especially involving things like Legion. And then he jumps to Marvel and becomes very popular and sticks around and does work during a time when turnover was crazy. They were turning over editors Every six to twelve months, they were turning over a new EIC. If, I don't know if you remember that period of time or not, but they were just flipping editors like crazy. And he stuck. Around. It was like Major League Baseball, you yeah. know. If we weren't halfway to the pennant, is that right, pennant? Uh, yes. Good job. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, you know, 
then you, you there's somebody else out there who can do it for us. Yeah, and they would just turn people over and over and over, and he landed in the EIC role and stayed there for 10 years, which was unheard of. Now, Shooter is an extremely galvanizing comic character in comics. You either love him or you hate him, and there's really no in-between. All of the research, you know, whether it was done for this show or just existing in comics for the last, you know, 38 years of my life has told me that. And we have spoke to that on this show kind of at great detail because he was responsible and, and to allude to what you were, uh, to allude to what you were doing earlier that he has a reputation, um, whether it's unfounded, alleged, whether it's unfounded or not of, you know, eighties, um, let's call it eighties excess. Yes. Um, and that led to some really interesting ideas, such as Secret Wars. <laughs> um, there was a, a white fuel that coursed through the veins of many a creator. <laughs> a white fuel is what you just said. I did indeed. <laughs> Hashtag white fuel. Hashtag 80s white fuel. Oh, my God. Uh, you're not wrong. But no, I will it's say typified. That. I mean, this is the period where supposedly, you know, backstage at Saturday Night Live was a bowl of cocaine in the same way you find a big bowl of Dramamine on the cruise ship just outside the infirmary. It's just help yourself if you need it. And, you know, right. you, you have to be a little dubious about some of this, but it certainly was a time when uh, cocaine was the drug of choice well and and that led to shooter parting ways with marvel and there are a lot of um rumors and and again you know alleged things that happened that led to that um everything from possible substance abuse you know to uh other kinds of misconduct down to which i think might be pro which is what i think is probably the actual reason when you when you you know, dig real deep is that people just didn't like him. People were leaving Marvel, you know, by, by the tugboat load. Oh yes. And this, you have to understand that late in Marvel, in uh, shooters career as editor in chief, everything, it was, it became a my way or the highway environment. And a, a lot of prominent creators just, you know, were chomping at the bit for their contracts to run out. Mm -hmm. And then they were no longer beholden to Shooter. And, you know, my personal disdain uh, came out of reportedly the demise of Master Kung Fu. I mean, granted, the incomparable artist Gene Day died shortly after the cancellation of the series. But rumor has it that the cancellation was the result of an ultimatum by Shooter that either Shang-Chi become a ninja yeah. uh, in the misbegotten notion that Chinese and Japanese cultures are pretty much interchangeable. Sure. Or the series would be canceled. Uh, well. And I'm sorry, the the son of Fu Manchu is never a ninja. And, and you know the the going theory for for why he was finally relieved at EIC was or of EIC at Marvel was the John Byrne leaving. Yeah. John Byrne being just the staple of you know we've talked God how many how many times have we talked about Byrne we did an entire show on Byrne you know he you know Alpha Flight and his time working with you know X Men and Power Pack and you know he was there was a period of time there where Byrne was Marvel. You know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was the the audience draw. And then, you know, as soon as he got a chance to depart, you know, this, the heady atmosphere of Jim Shooter's ever-growing ego. And I really think that as Shooter aged, he was one of these types of personalities who became very full of himself well, to the point where he could do no wrong. And, you know, the next thing you know, uh, you have – you're confronted with a burn notice. 
Right. <laughs> well, this was also a period where, with the exception of, with the exception of Crisis, right, which was a brilliant move, we all can we all can look at Crisis on Infinite Earths and say, okay, like like whatever led you know whatever you did for the ten years leading up to Crisis on Infinite Earths is forgiven now because <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? Yeah. How many years has it been? And we just got a giant crossover from all of those CW shows. It's still relevant and still talked about. Like it was, it's it's almost the perfect crossover. It's almost the perfect comic book event. Um, besides that, under Shooter, Marvel was in its was in its literal prime. Heyday, yeah. X Men, Alpha Flight, Fantastic Four, Avengers. It could not be stopped. <clears throat> it was a juggernaut under Shooter. Frank Miller's Daredevil. Right, and a lot of that was Shooter demanding absolute control over the editorial process you know any art that would come had to cross shooter's desk any story ideas had to cross shooter's desk it was <laughs> it was you know he was one of these kids and at the time he was a kid let's not forget he wasn't a 50 year old editor-in-chief sitting behind a desk he was a 30 year old wonderkent that was brought yeah. in to do this job so it's i almost feel bad for him but i don't I feel like this is one of those stories like, um, are you familiar with the guys that, that started WeWork, the uh, the rental office properties, or the guy who created Soylent, or the guy who created Uber? You know, these guys that are creating these uh, these IP startup businesses now. Like, I feel like it's that, where the stories are, that could come out if, uh, if it was 20 years from now would have been insane, where people are talking about the stuff that went down in the office and, like... You know his his misbegotten <laughs> notions of things, but yeah, um, but yes. Regardless, we need to move into. We, at some point, we should probably talk about Defiant. Um, he um, he left Marvel and started Valiant, so we need to talk a little bit about Valiant in order to set up Defiant, because he stayed in Valiant and then he left Valiant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much for the same reasons. Pretty much was like mm, we don't. We think that uh, you're me. You're insane. You're an insane man, and we want you to leave. <laughs> um, so yes, in '91, uh, Valiant released its first title, um, Magnus Robot Fighter. If you remember Magnus, um, Solar Man of the Atom. Um, I see a lot of those titles uh, that came out of Valiant were revivals, right? Well, and I think that that was, you know, therein was a lot of the strength of Valiant was you had a familiarity to an older audience and then, you know, an established character base and mythos from which to work. And then you let Shooter loose with <laughs> original property. But, Cole, let me ask you this. We've done three of these now, Right. We've done three of these episodes. We've got two more to go. I'm starting to notice a formula. Are you starting to notice a formula? For yeah, it you know there's uh there is this underlying um, well I mean a lot of it is sort of tilting at the windmills that were Marvel and DC sitting high on their mountain. Right. Sure. Right. You're not wrong. But a lot of it, you know. The, especially the companies that we're talking about, granted some of them existed in other forms prior, but this was a period where everybody equated comics with dollars. Right. And ultimately, that was, in this case, the downfall because the dollars weren't there. Sure. Sure. You're not wrong. <laughs> you are not wrong. Um, so here's what I'm seeing. As I do this research and as I'm seeing these things pop up, is Guy works for the bigs, right? Guy wants to start his own company for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, an altruistic-y uh, kind of fun thing like Malibu or whether it's, you know, to, to literally create an IP for a business like Techno or in this case, what I really believe is because Jim Shooter wanted to uh, put a thumb in the eye of... <laughs> Marvel and DC, um, you start with open available characters in the public sector, 
and you start working with those first. We've seen it in, I think, all three. Maybe not in, um, maybe not in Techno. Um, I think Techno did something, you know, really bizarre in an <laughs> attempt to, well, we know that. But you start with, you start with this public sector, public domain characters, things that are out there, or things you can get on the super cheap. And then you go into business with a parent company that can provide you the capital and the overhead. So in this case, Valiant was Voyager Communications. Yeah. Then once you're established and you've shown that you can bring something to market, regardless of, you know, how, how much other people have done it in the past, like Solar or Magnus Robot Fighter, then you decide you're going to start creating your own thing. You know, then you, then you David S. Pumpkins this thing. <laughs> and that's when it all goes to hell. For one reason or another, that's the formula that I see. If I was making a VH1 behind the music, a behind the comics on this. Oh, yeah. And I think that one of the big problems was that everybody jumping into the middle of this, uh, that were trying to ride on solely on their own merits, on their own creations. Suffered because, yes, they were jumping into this multi-billion dollar market, but this multi-billion dollar market was owned by giants who'd strode the earth. Strode? Uh, Mightily, yes, sir. Yeah, they had, you know, they were standing, it was Crom high on his mountain. Uh, <laughs> they, these were gods, and you don't just come emerging out of the dust and expect that the audience is going to be there. That was the real problem is that there were two types of collectors in this period right. that, that drove these businesses um, into the playing field and ultimately into extinction. And that was the actual reader, which did exist. There were readers out there. And then the collector speculator. Yes. And it was the collector speculator that was pushing that market to levels it never, frankly, it never should have known, but it certainly had never experienced before. Yeah. And that was a, a breed of misinformed collector who were of their very nature doomed to extinction themselves. Yep, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And I do think and, that you're right about tilting at windmills. I think there was a lot of hubris. Yeah. And so you have Jim Shooter technoing it in a sense by hanging his <laughs> name out there. It was like Mickey Spillane or uh, Dangerous Primortals Nimoy. You hang out the Shooter shingle and people are bound to come. If this is Jim Shooter, I gave you the Seeker Horse for God's sake. Right. And he becomes this sort of like bitter old, you know, he's, he's like in, it's just, uh, waiting for his close-up. Right. Except and he was a bitter young man. And uh, I remember in the comic buyer's guide, there was a cartoon or an illustration someone did with uh, this stylized shooter, like kicking the, uh, or smashing the logos of Marvel and Valiant. You know, it was like, first he was a Marvel, then he was Valiant. Now he's simply defiant. And yeah. the title itself just broadcast that hubris. I mean, he was just telegraphing to the world, this is a revenge scheme. And uh, as Catherine put it, when the first defiant titles were being announced and solicited and arriving, um, the defiant logo, which uh, was superimposed on our own logo for this show, is this sort of, uh, you know, man in the Coke castle emblem. Right. Of this crenulated tower, you know, set against the stark background with a single window. <laughs> and, you know, Catherine Speed's response is the light is on, but nobody's home. Right, right. Right. It's very Poe-esque, this, this thing. It's, it's, it's very, it's very Edgar Allan Poe, the, uh. I mean, they got the their money's worth out of the logo. It, it, it caps the title brilliantly yes but it also was just rife for ridicule 
and you know, looking at it now, I, I just see someone out there going, "Hello, hello." I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be too keen. He's already got one. <laughs> you English keen niggets. <laughs> well, and you know, when I when we were talking before the show, I, I was trying to draw an analogy in my head because I don't. I don't dislike Shooter. I get what he was trying to do, right? Like, he was asked to leave Valiant for the same reason he's been asked to leave everywhere. It's because he wants creative control because he has this weird vision. It's not even weird. He has a vision of what he, what the, what comics should be, right? Yeah. And I, and I don't think that his vision for what comics should be is necessarily wrong because he's, every time he's been on the record, you know, when somebody's like, what the hell are you thinking, man? You know, his answer is generally, I want comics to be good. I don't want to, you know, Stan Lee could write a story in in four pages that it takes people four books to write now. Like, and they were great books. Like, I want to get back to that. I want to get back to the value that the reader could, you know, could walk away from uh, from thinking that he got for his money or she got for her money. You know, those are the things that he believed in. His methodology was wrong. I'm not going to say that, but I was trying to think of what would, you know, when I'm looking at Defiant, since we're we're officially moving into Defiant after you left Valiant, um, what was, you know, what analogy and the best analogy I can come up with is like one of those, you know, if you have ever read stories about like old outlaw country artists, like, uh, like George Jones getting drunk and riding his tractor to the liquor store. Riding his riding the lawnmower to the liquor store, or you know Jerry Lewis shooting up a recording studio with a gun, like he falls into that category for me, which is you know like like just wild. Go ahead. This Busey esque level of genius. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Very it's... difficult to work with, but unmistakably a force of nature. You know, a, a creative force to be dealt with. Right. Genius level creator. But if you're going to work with him, you, you know, it's like, it's, it's like one of those weird comedy office movies. You know, you've got to know what you're getting into because yeah. if you're interning at the office under, under Jim Shooter, you know that it's going to, all hell is going to break loose. And that's the best analogy that I can make is just like, he's one of those guys. Like, you know, he's one of those uh, Folsom Prison Blues. He's he's a he's a Hank Williams. He's a he's a Wayland. He's a you know a highwayman. He's gonna trash your tour bus, dude. He's gonna make <laughs> great music. He's gonna release seven great albums for Sun Records. But he's gonna burn your hotel room to the ground. That's right. <laughs> Just get ready for that. He had accountants pay for it all. That's that's right. He ain't gonna pay his taxes. Screw <laughs> you, buddy. Um, but yes, yeah, so he leaves Valiant. There ain't um, no taxes in the Bible. Well, I guess there are taxes in the Bible. Damn it! <laughs> that's, all, that's kind of the whole point of the yeah, Bible. The, the, um, yeah, it kind so, of comes up a lot now that I think about it. So, oh, both testaments. Shock oh, full damn, of taxes. Damn, let me flip through this. Oh, oh man, oh. who wrote this? The IRS? <laughs> um, so... He did have some loyalists at Valiant um, that came with him to um, to Defiant. So he had some guys that came with him over to over to Defiant from Valiant. Some some loyalists, some some guys in his corner, some knights. But he um, he tried to bring, like we were talking about earlier, tried to uh, retain uh, partial partnership of Voyager Communications, which was the parent company of Valiant. Could not do that. They would not yeah, like simultaneously competing. <laughs> I mean, granted, was it strict competition? Not necessarily, but it was competition nonetheless. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, par for the course for um, for these things. They've got a venture capitalist. They went and they sold their idea, right? Hey, listen, I'm Jim Shooter. Here's my litany of work, you know, Marvel, DC, Valiant, or, you know, I want, you know, you need to finance this company. I'll make you billions of dollars, which of course, you know, is vaporware never comes true. But, um, but then he goes, uh, and, and forms the river group, which is his new, Oh my God. Yes. Which is his new business venture. This is how he's going to finance 
Defiant is with a new kind of, uh, um, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, venture capitalists. Yeah. So he's now, now he's got that going for him too. Um, the first title for Defiant was Plasm. Yes, indeed. Plasm was foisted upon the world with <laughs> tremendous fanfare. I mean, great buckets of Plasm were strewn about the earth. <laughs> Cole, you have a very, uh, let's call it a unique relationship with the, with Plasm. Oh, God. Yes, uh, Plasm... Plasm arrived on the scene when I was working for Diamond Comic Distributors back when they had a Dallas branch. And as I say, there was a lot of fanfare. I think there was a, a, a insert in the previews that one month when okay. it was being solicited. We kind of have these like uh, bound in cardboard or card stock kind of pieces. Sometimes they would be like a uncut trading card sheet. Sometimes it would just be an ad. And and certainly there was a lot of fanfare uh, in the, the fan press. And, you know, Jim Shooter was back by God, and he's brought us Plasm. 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 And then the stories began to fly about the fate of Plasm that – Marvel cried foul because they were in the midst of desperately seeking an audience for their Marvel UK sure. imprint, which nobody I – mean, people in the UK didn't want to read this, much less people in the US. <laughs> and then out of the clear blue yonder of Marvel's ass comes – Oh, we were on the verge of releasing popular title from the UK, Plasm. <laughs> Plasma. And Plasma was like a character out of Rick and Morty. Right. Where it was like this, you know, ridiculously overdone, like a cartoons in the back of Hustler kind of 80s bodybuilder woman chick with big tits and one giant Popeye arm <laughs> that presumably was some sort of innocuous fluid, like whatever the hell. It was made plasm. It was, it was plasm, of course. And so plasma was suddenly, oh, we, you know. And the thing about it is it was so painfully obvious that if this thing existed for a day before Defiant made their announcement, Marvel fast-tracked it to the – UK, Marvel UK imprint. Well, it's probably the only place they could put it because th that was the least popular anything that anybody could do. Yeah. It was, it was it less was... popular than the new universe, for God's sakes. Oh, God. And we actually have sometime in 2020 or 2021 uh, an issue titled A Universe of Their Own. Oh. Where we'll actually be exploring that because I kind of yeah. got a little excited about it for about a week <laughs> um, back then. But the thing about it is, it was, as I say, painfully obvious that Plasma meant nothing to Marvel until they could defiant block with it. Right, until they could until they could screw Jim Shooter, nobody yeah. cared. And, you know, with some sort of strange zeitgeist that Marvel magnified, as the story goes or went back then, Shooter reached out to Marvel and had sort of a gentleman's agreement that Plasma and Plasm might, you know, neither of them were exactly going to be top sellers. So uh, that was never acknowledged, of course. But there was a, supposedly this gentleman's agreement that if he changed the name to Warriors of Plasm, that would be enough additional words and syllables that it would be impossible to mistake one for the other, ergo, no real competition, no real uh, infringement. Right. But this was a period where litigation was uh, almost a spectator sport, and Marvel had a rabidly hungry legal team that apparently constantly had to justify their existence 
And so they were jumping on, and this would continue uh, from the 80s through about the uh, mid-2000s, that they were jumping at every opportunity for billable hours. So everything was litigious at Marvel. And so they went forward with a lawsuit. And I remember uh, a very defiant full-page ad in the aforementioned Comic Buyer's Guide or half-page ad, something like that, that showed Jim Shooter in profile so he could show off one of those stupid little ponytails that oh. that 30-somethings had in the, in the eighties. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's like the guy that founded Gateway. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he uh, it was showed him in profile uh, cosplaying as Ray Liotta at the end of Hannibal <laughs> with this big, bold... Uh, headline from the mind of Jim Shooter. And there was like all these little, you know, line points uh, telling you apparently what all was on his mind, including, um, and I I remember I misread this and then later realized my error, lunch with Janet Jackson. (laughs) And I thought it was in parentheses the singer, and it was apparently not the singer because there was an editor. Oh, named Janet Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. And, you know, all this other, and one of them, it was just sort of like his subtle thumbing his nose at Marvel. We won the lawsuit. Right. No fanfare, no explanation, but if you knew, and if you're a fanboy worth his salt in ancient Rome, you knew what that meant. Right. And it was funny because that's where a lot of us found out that the whole, there was a lot of just angst and press and and vitriol and then not and you heard nothing right nobody even bothered to lift a finger to report you know it just wasn't worth your smith corona to type out a, a six sentence art, a blurb and wizard uh to mention that the whole warriors of plasm thing was thrown out however it wasn't such a simple thing as it turns out no, no, it wasn't, and and you know we'll get into it here in a in, at the end of the show. But uh, what began this company, this this comic company, Defiant, is actually what ends the same company, which is Shakespearean <laughs> in its um. It's, can we, is, flat can we talk about Warriors of Plaza because yes. that was the hallmark. This was talk their about Spider-Man. It. This was their Batman. This was their major title. This was going to be the linchpin, the the cornerstone, the whatever you call the main thing. You, I guess, uh, the tentpole. Um, <laughs> yeah, bring it because I know this, that you. Yeah. I know that you have uh, very yeah, distinct memories. And to launch their brand new flagship title of their intended pantheon. Defiant was going to do something no one had ever done before because non-sports cards were huge. Yeah. There were whole, you could go to a show of for nothing but non-sports cards routinely. People were t- making a fortune, making sets and selling chase cards. So why wouldn't you do this? Warriors of Plasm, number one, released as a series of trading cards. It was. The whole book was, wasn't it? Yes, it was the entire first issue that if you got a crap ton of nine pockets and put them in a binder and you managed to amass the entire God knows how many cards it was, probably a hundred and some cards whatever would be divisible by nine, at least 90 cards, Uh, probably a 180 card set, maybe more. You could have the entire first issue of Warriors of Plasm as if it had been chopped up and put back together again in some weird psychopathic collage. So conceptually weird. Yeah. And I was trying desperately to grasp it a whole, uh, and, and I think also they were trying to create – this was like, ooh, look, this our issue, first issue is going to be available on CD-ROM. Oh, it's one of those. Because that's new and different, and we're going to pioneer. 
<laughs> Just, here's the thing. Like, they really went for the CD-ROM thing. Like, we talked about techno. This was a time period when everybody... I, I, I actually had a company back then, and we had clients where I made business cards for companies on CD-ROMs. So there were these little CD-ROMs, little tiny ones oh, that, are yeah. cut, that are cut kind of square with round corners, like round mm-hmm. round outside edges, where you could go in and basically build a website that launched on those CD-ROMs, and you would build those for people. People thought that CD-ROMs were the end-all, be-all of... Well, look at the little girl in Jurassic Park. It was like a CD-ROM! <laughs> And that's how we all felt. It's like Douglas Adams saying, you know, that some people think digital watches are still a pretty neat idea. Right. Right. That these sort of things epitomize where we were in this period. And I think it seemed logical. Yeah. That, you know, how cool is this? A trading card series where you get something for your money. But what did you get? And at the time, <laughs> when I was working for Diamond, um, I happened to wander at the past the end of the day back into the warehouse and observe one of our our warehouse um, packers ambling toward the back door, which seemed kind of odd since all the lights were out. And everybody was pretty well gone for the weekend, and there were only a few of us management type still hanging around and there was something about the way his gait that the way if you saw someone walking away from you uh, from a cow with a couple of pails of milk the way their body would be presenting and so I followed my line of sight down to the pails of milk were two big white unopened boxes that had a a single uh, that sharp plastic strap around them yes it's often used for like uh they'll throw a couple of those around a case of uh, copy paper or something oh they will Trust and me. Fat, fun fat kids if you're having trouble getting those to to break apart you don't have a knife if you turn them upside down at the point where the two ends meet you can kind of worry your fingernail into there and, and peel it apart it's yeah. much simpler. also Not, don't do what uh, don't do what this asshole was doing and carry it by the straps. Yeah, I I mean, I... It'll break on uh, you. Yeah. So, the only thing in inventory at that time that had a, pla- a single plastic strap and was in a roughly cube-shaped box that was white were cases of boxes of packs of Warriors of Plasm trading cards. God. So I just sort of quietly ducked back into the main hall and then sort of quietly passed him in the hall, tore ass across the warehouse, and retrieved said boxes of Warriors of Plasm on the landing to the back staircase, just immediately outside the door. Where they were going to be picked up by some, over the weekend, by some... uh... Well, as it turns out, I went and... Our assistant manager was still in-house, and I went and, and brought him uh, to show him what I had observed and discovered. And this particular warehouse worker and his friend who also worked there, one of them owned a particularly distinct-sounding vehicle. Okay. And as we're standing there and the observations are being had – from just outside the door, we heard the distinct <laughs> that was clearly the sound of a triumphant retrieval mission gone wrong. <laughs> the ghastly realization the gig was up and uh, presumably a very long, reflective weekend. Right. <laughs> Drive home felt a lot longer at that point than yeah, it did prior. Yeah, to this day, I just feel like if you're going to rip off the comic distributor, steal something worth selling. Right, right. Use your, use your, uh, use your head. Yeah, I mean, 
they just they can't give these away today. They're not worth the paper they're printed on. You can't sell them as kindling. No. No, you can't. Because people feel like that's a waste of fire. <laughs> people feel like that's a waste of fire. <laughs> nice. Nice. So what was – so all of this for what? What's the comic about? I know that you have a special relationship oh, with that too, Cole. Warriors of Plasm. Yes, I'm sorry. Warriors yeah, as, of Plasm. as I recall um, – Plasm was this, like, some sort of world or, you know, universe or somewhere in another galaxy or dimension. I'm not really sure. I, I honestly know very little about it. But I, I know there was like the – Plasm was like this low-rent Logan's <laughs> run where, okay. you know, attitudes toward life and death were um, – and as nearly as I can tell, the – the denizens of plasm were sort of extruded out of the org of plasm. Oh, so Zardoz. Yeah, it was just sort of a kind of happened asexually. Oh, God. And to fuel the the org, to, to have the raw material to continue to people this world of plasm, it, it seemed like the people of Plasm uh, would seek out in conquest to subjugate other worlds God. and then feed their populations into the org of plasm <laughs> so that there would be plenty of source material for more plasma Plasminians. Plasminians? Um, but the thing about it was, I remember distinctly there was a, uh, you could pretty much virtually, you know, you were swinging a virtual dead cat, you would hit this same little introductory panels from Warriors of Plasm, which showed some, I guess, like the uh, soldiers from Plasm herding the uh, population of a a bunch of little blue pointed head guys that were uh, fresh out of some cheap knockoff D and D thing you'd buy at the grocery store. Okay, sure. You know, bag of aliens and monsters. Right. And um, one of them is remarking casually to the other that chattel on the hoof makes good gore for the org of plasm. Oh my god! <laughs> and yeah, this right in front of the. You know these these doomed souls who are just being marched into oblivion, uh, into this giant sarlacc pit of doom, and one of them kind of breaks ranks, I guess, in the uh, the sense of you're going to pay dearly for my life, and and charges these centurions and and kills one of them, or one of them gets killed in the firefight or what have you, uh, and meanwhile you know, the rest of the population sheepishly wanders off like so many lemmings. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the more defiant among them uh, is, of course, equally dead. He just didn't get to see it coming like the rest of them. And uh, then they sort of roll the body of their dead member of their own, remarking that he had a touch of class. God. The, uh, I guess, the heady brew that is uh, going yeah. to make future generations of Plasminarians and plasmonauts. Uh, plasmonauts, yes. Plas the plasmarium. Uh, the so I, don't I, I like get this. It. Thanks, I hate it. What is? Yeah. And the thing about it was, in the greater context, I believe that the idea was that some rebellious element uh, within the uh, society of plasm uh, makes their way or you know recruits some regular folk from earth because you know it's always about oh, yeah. Earth. oh yeah um and so these earthlings are now uh kind of press ganged into helping fight the civil war for plasm 
and our. I gift- like that you can't say plasm without disdain. That plasm <laughs> deserves your vitriol. Like pla- plasm. Plasm. Uh, yeah, I, I just never thought I would say plasm as often as I have so tonight. So many times. <laughs> so the, they I, I effectively become the warriors of plasm, and they're given some sort of either plasm or some other stuff that uh, imbues them all with some sort of superpowers. Like they couldn't give this to people of their own. I don't know. Maybe they just, it's like reverse kryptonite. Well, so if I'm reading this right, and I have never read Plasm. And honestly, I put this clear. off the top of my head, by the way. I was hoping you might be following along and seeing how close I get. But frankly, there's not a lot written about the Warriors of Plasm. So, Plasm is sort of the, uh, let's call it the supreme intelligence of okay. the Plasm planet. Okay, so you're feeding this thing the the chattel on hoof to, uh, you know, to... So that it, you know, so that it, you know, takes your penises and becomes guns or whatever happens in Zardoz. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's that's what I remember. Um, and I watched it like two months ago. So uh, Plasm being the you know supreme being of, of the Plasm planet finds, you know, sets his sights on Earth as as the as they all do and decides oh, yeah. that it would be a good source for more uh plasm juice for more more plasm soylent to go into his plasm holes and uh, <laughs> that's what i'm saying now and um you know decides that he's going to send his um send his people there to get them um he, there's you know the guy that leads the mission is is actually wants to overthrow plasm so he uh creates a group of genetically modified humans giving them powers um so that they can protect from the on the oncoming plasm invasion um and that's how it happens so this guy you know creates a a group to fight the the plasm people um you know and and it's it looks like it's you know glory preach shooter mouse and nudge who were all yeah i i love the uh I'd forgotten what a diverse mix they were. And I love that one of them is Shooter, you know. Yes. Yeah, right? Right? This ex-military officer named Shooter. Um... <laughs> and one of the, the key characters from Plasm itself is the High Gore Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's right up there with my uh, Ultimate Boys toy line. Sure. Major Gore's Monster Action Slaughter Squad. And as as uh, as ridiculous as this sounds, it should be made clear that it is still better than Marvel's Plasma. <laughs> yes, that's the frightening thing, especially characters like Cookie Wozenager. Sure. AKA Nudge, a quiet, polite girl who works at a cosmetics counter. Yes. So the the concept wasn't as much. Uh, the the intergalactic space battle, but the interpersonal relationships between these weirdos that they put together, yeah. that was what they were really pushing. They were the kind of group, it's a love letter to uh, the postmodern horror movie where, uh, uh, you know, some large invasion of the legions of hell or... Uh, subterranean worm creatures or uh, giant insects or, you know, fill in the blank uh, are converging upon the land. And, you know, seven people uh, who happened to uh, go to a roadside rest stop in Arizona on the same day are, you know, ground zero. Right. It's, it's that dynamic that you've seen a hundred times with that, that guy who was um, in the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, the guy that was in, He's in yeah, all of them. The comic book Legion, the guy that's in the Twilight Zone movie, the guy yes, that's in exactly. Maximum Overdrive. Uh, you name it, it's in there. Yeah, you just you're just waiting for MM at Walsh to show up at any minute. <laughs> um, also, books that came out from uh, Defiant because we got to start thinking about wrapping this up. Yes. Um, 
let's let's talk about uh, Charlemagne. Do you remember Charlemagne? I you mentioned you had a copy of Charlemagne number one, and I remembered the title solely from the fact that you said the name aloud. Uh, the one that sticks out for me was Prudence and Caution. I remember Prudence and Caution. Yes, I don't remember what Prudence and Caution was about. Yeah, I remember the the logo for Prudence and Caution uh, being a, you know, Prudence was written out in this sort of ribbon font, and then Caution was like literally a roadblock uh, kind of black and yellow striped. (laughs) Like a police tape thing? Or like the, you know, like a barricade Uh, type look, you know. Of course, created by Jim Shooter. Um, much in the same vein, and you'll find this a lot, uh, in Defiant, much in the same vein as Archer and Armstrong, Valiant, Valiant stalwarts, um, really? Or Quantum and Woody. It should be noted. This was the period of Anne's. It should be noted that the book was written and created by, uh, well, it was created by Shooter, but it was written by Chris Claremont. I'll be. Yeah, as you know, being a, a friend of, um, being a friend of Shooter from his Marvel days. Also, here's an interesting note: a lot of the characters from Defiant are now owned by Golden Books. I saw that. <laughs> yes, that's one of the things that happened in the when when Defiant went under. They sold a lot of their property to Golden Books. So, rest assured. Warriors of Plasm. Yeah, you never know when the little golden book of Warriors of Plasm might oh show God. up. You know, when I was a when I was but a young lad, and I mean young, I remember every Christmas Eve my grandmother would read me a golden book. <laughs> this is a true chattel on the hoof. Right, good gore for the org of Plasm. It's just one page. Yeah, that's, that's just one yeah. page of a golden book. It's all that. Is. Damn and it. I, I doubt very seriously your grandmother sounded remotely like that. So, you know, she, she did. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. You nailed it. Wow, you damn. nailed it. How about that? I had a nostalgic moment there where I was taken wow, back in wow. time. You remember when grandma read you the uh, Warriors of Plastic? In, in the in cold old book. woman voice. It was weird, <laughs> but it works. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So here's what happened. To end then, the oh, I have to point yes, out please. that with uh, Prince and Caution, uh, the Wikipedia article I was just trying to get some insight on, uh, it only ran two issues. Uh, it says that some online vendors list three through six as out of stock. Forever. <laughs> they were never in stock. That's hilarious. That is great. Oh, God, that's funny. Um, all right. We got to wrap this up. So here's what happened to Defiant. You ready? All right. All right, so we're going back to the Warriors of Plasm again. So Marvel, like you said, very litigious, filed a lawsuit against Jim Shooter for for the Plasma deal. Jim Shooter, never one to back down from a fight, (laughs) decided he was going to take this to the end zone and never back down. And in doing so, and I think that all it would have taken would have been to say, okay, we're not going to publish... Warriors of Plasm. And that would have meant we're not going to publish a comic with the line that Cole keeps repeating that makes no sense and makes <laughs> me feel bad on the inside the way an H.P. Lovecraft novel does. That's that's what it would have meant. But no. Jim, old Jimmy boy, decides he's going to fight it to the bitter end. He wins. Shooter wins, baby. He won the lawsuit. And in winning the lawsuit, Goes in debt in legal fees by $300,000 and has to sell Defiant basically to <laughs> Golden Book. But he wasn't going to lose. Yeah. And that's what I mean about this old, like, outlaw country thing. You know, he was going to carry that big iron and slap it in the town square regardless. Nobody was, nobody was getting one over on, a, on Big Jim Shooter. That's the damn truth. And in doing so, drove himself straight into the ground. But he won, and he... He never lets an interview go by where he doesn't at least, like you said, Cole, at least stick the knife in a little bit. 
Yeah. Where, where he says something to the effect of, I won the lawsuits. <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't feel like Jim Shooter's hurting for I, work, so... I lost my company. Yes. But I won the goddamn lawsuits. I, I just got this image in my head of, you know, it, it, the end of... Uh, the end of Goodfellas, where it's like the lit, or I guess the beginning, actually, the litany of like, I got fired from Detective. <laughs> That's right. I got fired from Marvel Comics. I started my own comic company, g- got asked to step down from that. I started Defiant Comics, and it went under because I won a lawsuit. But I did it my way. The helicopter's going over and Ray Liotta's <laughs> running down the road. <laughs> it's like Joe Pesci shooting his pistol at the screen. That's, that's right. That's the gym shooter. Pesci would make a great gym shooter in the gym shooter story. I think so. They would just, they'd have to like haggard him. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. They'd have to like CG him taller. <laughs> A little bit, but I think... Jim Shooter's like nine feet tall or some shit, you know? Yeah, the only other person, Nick Cage. I think Nick Cage, because he he could get that crazy, coked-out Nick Cage about him. I I think that would work, too. Um, All right, well, do you have any final thoughts on Defiant Comics? I think Defiant has a place in the history of comics. Okay. And... As chroniclers of comics, as a show that has taken it upon itself to explore comic books, not from the standpoint of, you know, here's the hot new title or here's what's coming up next month or here's a review of the latest issue of Bible Man. Is there? Anyway, um, maybe could could well be. You know, as a show that has made a determination to explore the unexplored in comics, part of this story arc, the Declaration of Independence, is to give a voice to these companies, is to, you know, bear witness to the existence. You know, let us sit upon the floor and tell sad tales. <laughs> we We need to remember it's like that football movie we're, we're remembering the 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 tight ones the i you, you sure about that i think i think that that was the one i saw anyway oh was, you saw it oh was, so, it, was, so, it was hot let me so, tell you was it a was hardly any football flesh gordon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damn it i hate you but, so much uh, merry christmas everybody <laughs> <laughs> but uh, bless you, know, I... you, Jim Shooter. <laughs> as he runs down the road past him, Jim Shooter. As as he runs down the road past him, yelling about the helicopters. <laughs> you want to see helicopters? But you know, I I think that Defiant holds a place in comic history. As a little engine that, you know, that it might have turned into something. I don't think that, you know, while the lawsuit destroyed, it was almost like a mercy killing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, as I think my final thought is this was a, an imprint that was doomed and the lawsuit and gives that knife you can turn instead of it just being a really bitter story about misinterpreting everything. Yeah. Yeah. About this industry. Yeah. You're right. I don't think it could have gone a better way for him. You know, he got to, he got to get out. He got to win. Finally. You know, he, like I said, he did it his way. Mm -hmm. He, He very valid. Good point. Yeah. I'm with that. I'm with that. Oh, all right, man. Well, let's wrap this up. What do we got next week? Next week. Well, the next one. I think we're taking a hiatus next week for the holiday. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and uh, and take Christmas off because uh, I'm 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 not a complete tyrant, <laughs> and uh, neither is Andy. So <laughs> and we only we, we sort of are like yeah, we're like each other's boss in this, <laughs> right? I mean, we cancel each other out. We're, it, 
it's it's like that snake and Conan with two heads coming together. Um, I want that action figure so bad, Cole. <laughs> I know, dear God Almighty, that's a thing of beauty. But uh, we are um, we're going to go ahead and take a week away and then come back strong, and we're going to talk about a comic company that actually is one of a couple of the success stories that nice. sort of leading into the more successful ones that as we do our research, I'm kind of keen to discover, you know, at what point did things fall apart for them? And it, one of the things we're going to see in this particular arc is object lessons. <laughs> I think, yeah, we're starting to see them patterns forming. Um, and I think that this is one that had a really successful run and just knowing the body of work, the volume of and nature of the titles they produced, I have a feeling we're going to discover that they just died of a theory. <laughs> okay. That they, you know, flew too close to the sun. They, were, I think we're going to see Icarus and Daedalus. Uh, as one, uh, maybe we should have Kelly on this. Just for like, you know, Kelly, we know you have know nothing about any of this, but because of one half-ass <laughs> analog, Cole thinks you got to be on the show. She do it. She do it in oh, a heartbeat. Yeah. Not only would she do it, but she would outshine us <laughs> somehow. Come in on something she knows absolutely nothing about, and still outstrip us on every observation. Yes, because she's. Because she's Kelly. That's why. <laughs> okay. And what is that? Do we want to spoil We're it or do we want to wait? We're talking about uh, a comic company whose tagline was the comic company, like the comic company. <laughs> like we are it. But because most didn't have the experience I had to discover the proper according to Hoyle pronunciation of this comic company yes see comic company i don't want to give away that particular part okay. be you know broadcast in the title but i want people to share my dread okay all right speaking of sharing dread um why don't you uh why don't you close us up with some plugs and uh we'll get out of here and let people enjoy their holiday Absolutely. Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, God bless us, everyone. That's right. We are we're just thrilled to be here for as however the hell many Christmases we've been part of your life. Um, and and thank you, as always, to everybody who has bothered to give us a listen all these years, because we, we'd be talking about this stuff anyway. And the fact that there are hundreds of hours of us yammering away. Uh, for you to enjoy, like you know, if the family gets to be too much, just dial up some back issues. And, that's, that's right. And, you know, have <laughs> super, a, super sports balls. balls. Get a touch of summer yeah. in your. Uh, that's right. In your holidays. And how is summer, by the way? But anyway, uh, you can find me. Uh, we're, we're coming to you from the Jedi Cold Universe at JediCold.com. Uh, you can write to us at JCU Mail at Yahoo.com. And, uh, of course, on the first and third Sundays of every month, you can find the Rant Corps Pit live on DallasOnAir.com with myself and Eddie Medina talking about the Star Wars, our first Sunday of January. Look for us and the Talk Lord of the Sith himself, Zach Schroeder, as we give you our appraisal of the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I can't wait for that. Waiting for nearly 50 years so you can suck it if you hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Can't uh, wait for that. 42 uh, I, years. 40, yeah, so not quite close but to 50. 42, over 42 40, years. Yes, I, I was supposed to be done in 2001. Yeah, right. That sure. was supposed to be it. I was going to be able to move on to other pursuits, but now I've been forced by George Lucas and now Disney to wait and wait. But anyway... Uh, that is the first and third Sundays of every month. Third Sunday of every month, I also have my other live streaming uh, video bot, bleh, podcast, Isle of Toys, A-I-S-L-E, Isle of Toys, with the return in January of The Legends of Andrew Farmer. <laughs> That's right. 
And, Unboxing uh, the Legends returns. And we'll have some brand new recurring features like about a toy and what's in the box. <laughs> the first one for me might be what's in the box and not an unboxing the legends. There might be two back to backs though. So pay, okay. pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Be sure and check that out. Uh, Isle of toys and the rancor pit live. There you go. Monthly, uh, live action fun. There you go. Um, and you can find us on the, on all the social medias at HK comic show. So like us and follow us and do all of that stuff. So we're going to kick off into this holiday. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another show. Um, this, um, story arc has been very enlightening, very fun to research. I found out, so I found so many cool things and I'm glad we get to share them with you guys. You know, a bunch of, you know, we call and I have talked about the fact that, this, these topics have been so lightly reported because they happened during a time when nobody was writing about it. Nobody was blogging. You might get like a newspaper blurb or like a, a blurb in Comic Buyer's Guide about some of this, but none of it was, was reported in a big way. So piecing it all together and just finding this interesting stuff is super cool. And, you know, I'm glad that we're enjoying it and that you guys are enjoying it. And um, the last thing I'm going to say is this. Just remember... Every time a bell rings, Jim Shooter drives another comic company into the ground. Wow. Explains so much. Oh, oh, Charlie. Now he's Jimmy Stewart in my head running down the road. (laughs) Tiny Tim standing on the side of the road. He's screaming about helicopters. I, 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 I won the lawsuit. I won the lawsuit. Tim, Timmy, I won the lawsuit. You want a fat Christmas goose? I'm a fat <laughs> Christmas goose. All right, say good night. God Cole. bless everybody. Good I night. won the lawsuit. Good night. Good night. <laughs>